I'm Greg Dollar Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. As a musician and producer of musical performances, Zoré Gervais has become fascinated by those moments within an event, a musical or theater performance or gallery visit, when an undeniably powerful, even transcendent experience occurs within audience members as they receive the power of the art. You know, as artists, that's the kind of reaction that I'm interested in creating repeatedly. So I started doing some research into um, what's happening in our brains and in our bodies when we have those kinds of experiences and what are the kinds of stimuli specifically that create those reactions. And so Neon Venus has been birthed as basically um, an incubator for creating these um, very specifically curated neurotransmitter and hormonal journeys that take people on these like emotional physiological experiences uh, through art and music. Zore has been designing and producing immersive experiences for over 10 years. Whether creating transcendent live concerts and music festivals, augmented reality sound and art installations, corporate galas, music videos, experiential marketing campaigns, or unique fantasy-based vacations, her goal is to create or curate unforgettable experiences of art in community. Having spent most of her life on stage connecting with audiences, she is convinced that the universal human language is not math or music, but the emotion that results. She loves exploring the intersections and overlaps between different fields and cultures. Regardless of the medium or discipline, Zore is on the hunt for the common threads that connect us all and allow her to build community and beauty in every project. She and her team of innovators across multiple disciplines have recently launched the Winnipeg-based company Neon Venus Productions with the goal of creating the opportunity for audiences to experience the magic of awe. So thank you so much for sitting down today with me in this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, and suspect will continue to be so with where this conversation actually goes. Um, simply because of how many directions I sense we could go. So if we could just jump in, yeah? Sounds good. Thanks for having me. You know, one of my hopes uh, for these ellipses thinking conversations is that they might feel more like sitting down for a cup of tea than uh, an interview or a journalistic piece. So I, I just want to tell you how much I absolutely love the invitation you offer up on uh, on your Neon Venus website for, for, for anyone interested in connecting to you. So can I just share that off the top? Go ahead. Under the heading, more tea, you write, I've got an unrelenting curiosity and a need to constantly learn new things. Do you love talking about anatomy, physiology? and the latest developments in medical research? 
the future of the entertainment industry and integration of tech into the world of performance. Nerd out about history, dive into period costumes, macabre Victorian jewelry, the evolution of theatrical lighting techniques. Me too. Let's talk. You know, it's just, it, it struck me as such a wonderful way to introduce yourself to the world. And for me, as, as I read that, my first reaction was like an unqualified and resounding yes. <laughs> um, and the power in that for me lies in knowing that I can't actually check off yes to every one of those as known curiosities. Um, and yet somehow I still, I still say yes um, to that enticing offer. I, I, I just, I feel you've captured this, this way of introducing yourself with a bit of whimsy, a bit of mystery, and with humility that belies the Renaissance woman that I see sitting before me right now. And, uh, and it speaks to the power of leading with who you are and be in the world rather than what I do. Um, and uh, I just, I, I, I wanted to acknowledge that off the top. And, you know, I, as, as you will remember, I knew you first as, a, as an artist, as a musician, a young violinist who made a perfectly exquisite and Chagallian fiddler in a, a youth production of Fiddler on the Roof a few years ago. And it was clear even then that that was only one of the fascinating lanes that you were interested in exploring. Um, your invitational introduction on that website was a great reminder to me of how many lanes we can and indeed learn from and benefit from when we step and allow ourselves to step into those. So, so to your unrelenting curiosity, can I just begin by asking a wide open, what question is stirring within you at this time in your life? Hmm. You know, I have always been completely fascinated by connection. And that's like not only the connections between people, but the connections between different areas, you know, hence my, my curiosity about all these different things. And COVID put everything into a new perspective in terms of how we connect to each other, how we connect to data, how we connect to science, how we connect to art, everything, all those connections were up in the air for a while. And now we're at a point where we're like re-examining a lot of the connections that we have both at like a ground level in the communities and then also, you know, from a from a larger scale, you know, in terms of like, what's our connection to each other on the planet? What's our connection to, um, you know, viruses that live far away, uh, how will they affect us? You know, everything is interconnected. So that's kind of what's been on my mind, I would say, for the for the most part, I'm interested in exploring how those connections are changing and how, uh, how we keep as a species evolving to keep that need to, to connect and to be together, but also let it morph into beautiful new evolutions. Sorry, that's a bit of a no, no. It's uh, beautiful. It's a beautiful response. I, I, I would, I would expect to ask being asked that question to, to hear a whole lot more. Uh, so, so no, that was that was that was um, a very articulate. And so you have these big thinking moments. These this this thinking is in you, and it may in fact be to somebody listening in uh, both. Uh, you know, that that's amazing. Uh, but I too have big thoughts. But what I'm curious about is, how do you uh, activate some of that thinking where uh, it's one thing to think it, and to say, Oh, this is important, and leave it at the headline. But I feel like you do more than that. You, 
you you fill the rest of the page, not from an intellectual, maybe from an academic perspective, but a, but a lived human experience. So yeah, I mean that's what I really like. That's what gets me out of bed every morning is creating opportunities for people to feel connected to each other and to feel connected to beauty and awe and nature. You know, like everything that I do is towards that goal. And so. Um, all of the different projects that I'm juggling at any given moment all have that same thread going through them, which is that I'm looking for uh, ways to bring people together, whether it's in person or not, if it's a shared experience that they're, you know, um, either thinking about or experiencing with other people in the moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just uh, a chance to to have people come together and think about the same thing. You know, I remember as a little girl thinking of that, there, I think it's a Dennis Lee poem um, where he talks about looking up at the moon and somewhere in the world, there's another kid looking up the moon and thinking, is anybody thinking of me? You know, mm -hmm. like we're craving those moments of connection and those, those little brilliant pockets. So yeah, I guess. That's, that's a lovely that's thing to get you out of bed every day. It's a position of optimism about the potential of a moment of awe. And how might you contribute to the creation of that? But I'm also hearing you say bringing others together. This is not yeah. something it feels like is a solo event. No, you know, I think that those moments of awe are all around us, but we are living in a world that makes it hard to appreciate them sometimes, you know? And so sometimes it takes an extra push and sometimes it takes a bigger push and it takes, you know, a whole cream, a whole team of creative people um, together to make those moments come alive for people. But yeah, like essentially creating those moments, that's, that's what I'm really excited to do, but I'm creating them so that people can connect over them. Mm. Take, take me on a bit of that journey. Um, I know that you're that that you've spent a lot of time in in the world of music, and that, that you know. And, and again, maybe this is where I I pull something else that you've said, which is, <laughs> I know you're a lover of music. I know you're a lover of math and science, but you've also put it out there that you believe this universal language to be emotion. So say more about that. What is that? Where's that taking us? Yeah, I think that is just so fascinating because. I mean, there have been studies done about this, but even just from uh, a direct perspective of anecdotal evidence, um, as a performer, you can tell when what you are playing or singing is is affecting the people that are watching. You know, like I, I think, oh my goodness, one of the first performances that I did with the Regina Symphony Orchestra um, was a Handel's Messiah. Um, mm you know, right before the, one of the COVID waves, we happened to be able to do this performance, right? And so I was out there singing and there was probably not a dry eye in the house, you know, and singing this music that was written hundreds of years ago in a language that most of the people there understand, but like, you know, when you're singing, who really knows if you're getting the words across? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's not really about the words at that point, you know, it's it's the whole the whole musical journey that people are on and it it pulls people's heartstrings and there's something just very uh, visceral in the reaction that people tend to have to music, whether it's heavy metal or country or classical mm -hmm. music, it makes people react and not just in um, a cognitive way, like it makes physiological reactions happen in our bodies and there's so much fascinating data about that, there's so much research that's still happening about that. Um, and so that's something that 
I'm really interested in tapping into now that we understand the science behind some of that stuff. Um, it really adds to the complexity of what we're doing as performers. Why is this important? You know, it's not just important because it's beautiful. It's important because when you make music or even passively listen to music together as a group of people, it releases oxytocin in your body and hmm. that bonds people together. It regulates our heartbeat. It makes our, our nervous systems calm down. You know, like those things are so important and we need that in the world. We need those moments to you know, come together and feel things together. Um, and I think music just provides such a beautiful universal language for that. But really any art does that well, that there's just something very special in my mind, because I mean, I'm biased as a musician, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but there's something very special about how that translates so, um, so universally with music. So what I'm hearing is that the, the statement, music being the universal language, there's still great truth in that. But what I'm hearing you say is because of what it has the power to impact in uh, upon yes. us. And, and maybe it's the safe way of experiencing emotion in a world which has sent so much clear message around it's not safe or it's not this or it's not that, right? It doesn't fit the right box to to, to, yeah. to express ourselves emotionally. Yeah, and even just to to feel certain things, you know, like there's, you know, certain levels of grief that we as people sometimes don't have access to, you know, because various structures around us, it's just not appropriate to, to hit that level of grief. But if you listen to Goretzky's Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, for example, that can transport people into that space really beautifully. And there's so much uh, that they can experience there together. So, um, so yeah, that, that universal language of emotion, I think it can be felt really easily through music, but also through any artistic medium, really, that can trigger that type of response. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, Consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or Halibut and Chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. In this mission you, you, you live to create moments of awe, you have, you, you've, you've created, and this is over some time, but really you, you now have, have created this uh, under the banner of uh, 
of Neon Venus Productions. Talk to me about what you're doing and, and the why. Sure. Yeah. So maybe I'll give you a little bit of history about kind of how this came to be as well, because yeah. it makes a little more sense in context. So I have been producing concerts for many years. And in the classical world, typically concerts involve performers on a stage and not much else. Um, and people are transported through that language of music into their various emotional states and have their, their meaningful journeys that way. Um, I was really interested in exploring how we could add to that with a layer of visual stimulation, um, which is nothing particularly new. People have been doing that also for a very long time. Um, but I noticed that the concerts that I was producing, specifically some of the ones that I did at planetariums, um, had really strong responses from the audiences. People literally left like weeping or saying things like that was an absolutely transcendent experience. I feel like I just like went through something that I can't even explain, but it was something I will never forget, you know, those kinds of experiences. And I thought like, hmm, that's the goal, you know, as artists, that's the kind of reaction that I'm interested in creating repeatedly. So I started doing some research into um, what's happening in our brains and in our bodies when we have those kinds of experiences and what are the kinds of stimuli specifically that create those reactions. And so Neon Venus has been birthed as basically um, an incubator for creating these um, very specifically curated neurotransmitter and hormonal journeys that take people on these like emotional physiological experiences uh, through art and music. So I think it's going to be pretty cool. The, the plan is that we are going to be starting to tour the first large exhibit, um, which I can loosely explain to you as an exploration of spirit energy and spirituality through abstract narrative. Um, and it's kind of like a labyrinth that you pass through in these different spaces that are each immersive and have sound and visuals. So we are building these um, artistic, essentially installations. So they are, mm -hmm. they are like immersive artistic installations, but they are curated in a way that they are specifically triggering certain visceral human responses. So they are, they're built around biology. They are artistic, but they are using history and biology and psychology and neuroscience together to create this reaction. And of course, there will be some people who don't resonate as much with one thing or another, but there are certain reactions that as animals, we all have. And those are the reactions that I'm interested in tapping into and that we are working hard to really nail down right now. Um, and so that's, yeah, that, and some of them are really like super universal. When you think about, you know, if you're in a dark space that feels really close and you hear really eerie, spooky sounds behind you. You know, even if you know you're not being threatened, some part of your body is like, oh, threat, right? And yeah. it triggers a response. Primal. So, exactly. These are primal responses. So, that's what we are specifically working towards. We're not working towards creating like a narrative arc um, or like, you know, a plot where you're in some sort of like fantastical journey. Um, that stuff is super cool. And I love that stuff too. And mm -hmm. we'll probably do some of that in the future. But for now, I'm really interested in specifically creating these moments that are biologically informed. So on that, as I've spoken with you before, you, you, you have, your life has been surrounded by scientists and by biologists, and, and there's been that influence on you. But in your team, is the makeup of the team, does that change uh, through, you know, project to project? Or talk to me yeah, about so the, we, the makeup of the team. Yeah, so we have a biochemist. 
who is specialized in basically creating like brain drugs. Like he does Parkinson's um, drug development and a lot of research about how the brain interacts with the different um, neurotransmitters and chemicals. So that's one of the people on our on our board. And then we've also got a psychologist on board who does a lot of work with her clients um, and patients about um, awe and the use of awe in psychology as a as a tool for mental health. And so that's also like a very hot thing right now in the psychological community um, is how that can be used, how we need to tap into that um, as humans more <laughs> because <laughs> it's something that we uh, used to experience a lot more, I think back when we were hunters and gatherers and it's not so much a thing, now we're so desensitized to awe. Mm. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two of the scientists that we have. And then we've also got a team of other people who are really interested in that kind of stuff, but who are like architects or electrical engineers and, you know, a whole bunch of folks who have very wide interests and expertise. So it's, it's a pretty fascinating team. So is part of the plan then beyond um, touring for the general public, I presume, to also be in specific service to the, the health communities and networks and it you know is that what's that connection to the research you know I'm not sure how we would be able to integrate it specifically in a research capacity just because uh, there's a lot of controls that would need yeah. to happen for that um, and you know there would be restrictions around what profits we could do <laughs> all that sure, kind sure, of sure. stuff it complicates things a lot. But in terms of creating something that just generally is like a positive mental health thing, yes, you know, in the way that going to a hot yoga class is a good thing for yeah. our mental health and our bodies, you know, that's what so they say. <laughs> I'll trust you on that. Well, today's episode is officially the last in our season two. We are excited to be able to share a bonus episode this Sunday to mark and celebrate Father's Day with my conversation with New York-based musician and filmmaker Jeremy Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld's music, a blend of pop, hard-edged rock, gospel, soul, and blues, as well as a strong connection to musical theatre, has drawn him comparisons to Billy Joel and Jonathan Larson in the New York Times. And weaving across the story threads of his musical tome is his vulnerable and powerful exploration of fatherhood. Said a father to his son, life is hard but love is beautiful. Be a rock but be the flower. Choose the path you gotta choose, then follow through. And where you go, know that what you know is just a fraction of all you'll ever know. So be a man of strength in action, yet be strong enough to grow. Try to derive some satisfaction from the constant ebb and flow, and never compromise. But boy, you're achieving all you're destined to achieve. Try to have some fun. Said a father to his son. Having loved his music since it first landed in my ears over 10 years ago, and having been curious about this recurring theme of what it means to be a father, 
have a father and acknowledge both the joys and sorrows from both sides of the role, I was thrilled to be able to sit down with Jeremy in conversation, and I look forward to sharing it with you on Sunday, June 18th. Could you take me into a specific example uh, of either a recent um, uh, project or something that you're currently cooking up? Hmm, sure. In in what respect? Like, what would well, you like to? Uh, from from the perspective of um, I, I'm living in a place that might not actually get a chance to buy a ticket and, and experience it. What might my? I know you can't. You can't. You can't help somebody to understand what I personally will feel. I heard that we all resonate within a venue in a different way. But but what what might that journey be like? Just give me a sense of of, of an hour or a half an hour with within one of your worlds? Sure. So um, the first uh, the first project that we're launching, that we'll be touring, uh, is based around triggering a series of different neurotransmitters and hormonal reactions in your body. And so the one that we're starting off with is a fear response. So there's a lot of really interesting research tied to fear and awe. And experiencing fear is actually one of the triggers for experiencing awe. And there's a type of awe that we get when we experience fear that, um, you know, can be triggered by watching like a lion chasing its prey and catching it, things like that, right? It's a very, um, a very biological visceral response. So um, that's where we're starting this first experience is triggering a type of fear reaction. And we're doing that in part to prime our bodies because we'll have some cortisol and some adrenaline pumping through there. It gets, gets us on edge. Right. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly how we're going to do that. No, nope, that's, that's fair. That's sauce, fair. Right? Yeah, betcha. <laughs> um, but that, that's the first stage of this experience is fear. Um, and then once we get past the fear, um, and the body realizes that, oh, actually, this isn't going to be as scary as what, um, what our biology is making us think it will be. Um, we go into triggering different, um, different neurotransmitters. So first up, we hit up a dopamine cycle. So dopamine is the, the neurotransmitter that is associated with our reward system. And it is um, also associated with rhythm and anticipation and pleasure, all of those things. So it works beautifully with music. Um, there's a lot of really interesting music about, um, a lot of interesting research about music and dopamine. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that also, it, it gets people feeling like that little buzz of like, oh, things are good, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little, a little joy. Um, and then after that, we, we fall into um, some oxytocin and opioid triggering. These are really interesting because oxytocin is known as, right, like the love hormone. Um, it promotes social bonding. It lowers our blood pressure. It makes us feel really connected to the people around us. And there's tons of research about how music releases oxytocin in our bodies, especially when we are um, experiencing with other people. So uh, like listening to the same music together actually will like eventually get everybody's heart rates pretty similar in a room, which is really cool. Like we can actually yeah, manipulate yeah. that. Huh. Um, and then it also links to the opioid system. And so I'm sure you're aware the opioid system is the um, pain killing system in the yeah. human body. Uh, it is associated with lots of um, feelings of elation. And again, some of those like awe bits, you know, that, that ability to feel like you've had really um, 
a strongly moving experience. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, taking people through that path from the fear responses and the fear is also linked to the HPA axis. So that's the um, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And that is um, an axis that has a lot to do with regulating our immune system and regulating our arousal and, um, and rest and stress, all of those systems. Um, so also attention and emotion, all of those things are, are affected by that axis and these different neurotransmitters all play along there to kind of, you know, take your body on a beautiful journey. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> you know what I love about hearing this and I thank you for that. As I'm listening to you walk me through that journey, I keep thinking, oh yeah, that's why that that experience. That's why we love to go to a music festival and be on the side of a hill. Or that's what that's what that what that is. And and again, uh, maybe it goes back to what I said earlier: is we 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 have become comfortable simply saying you know music is the universal language without even inviting in the consideration of why. And I'm yeah, hearing you say here. I love to sit on the side of a hill. Uh, it's that. It's that this is deeply human and and a need and and, yes, and we have evolved. We have evolved to have these systems, and they are helpful for us. You yeah. know, it as a musician, as an artist, it gives us also this sense of power. You know, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, that's just music, whatever. It's not important, and we know that no, it is important. There's a reason why this exists. There's a reason why people have been singing together around campfires for mm -hmm. thousands of years. You know, it's a primal, important thing that we do together that us together as yeah. a species. And so, yeah, creating those moments in today's society where we're so disjointed and disconnected from each other, I think is just so crucial. Yeah, I have to tell you that as you were describing it, I thought, oh, this is, this is like going, this is going to the spa. You know, there may be a, 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 a doctor crisis, a nurse crisis, a, a crumbling health system, but we don't, I mean, that's not the only place we can get healthy uh, is in reaction in response to, but rather feeding and fueling. What I'm curious about, as you were just taking us into that, and then that word visceral, is will you, will you mandate and or ask or plead with people to experience it without a device in their hand capturing it you know that's we we have also become so comfortable at putting that mask on if you will i mean holding the the, the, the device in front of our own faces keeps us here not here mm -hmm. not here yeah, it's so from experiencing what's around yeah. us yeah. so we've actually thought about that quite a lot and um I am hopeful, I'm hopeful that we won't actually have to make any regulations against that. Yeah. We're going to ask people to be very sensitive about how much light they bring into the space because if they have bleed from their cell phone screen, yeah. that will affect the projections um, if there's a lot of them. But I'm hoping that if we've done our job right, they're not going to want to grab their phones. They're going to be quite taken with the experience as it is. And if they want to like quietly snap a picture here and there, I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because I, I say that not from the perspective of, you know, the legality of a copyright or, or you know, intellectual property, uh, that, that reason why, why we've gotten into the battles in theaters or, or other venues, but it really is from an experiential one. It's that sense of, you know, I, and, and I'm as guilty as the next person. 
but I never go back and look at it again. I don't have anyone to show it to. I don't, I, I don't have any interest in it. So, so it really says, well, to show it too, though, you know, like lots of people mm. want to show that. Yeah. And so part of what we're doing to strategize um, with that is to create specific photo opportunities outside of the experience where they'll have cool projections that they can take pictures in front of, but aren't actually in the experience so they can have their experience, you know, mm. to themselves. So <clears throat> fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> scale of production um as you think about this work are you looking to build repertoire that can stay a bit Cirque du Soleil-ish in terms of we can be in multiple places at different times or yeah, that is the eventual plan I would love to be able to tour multiple shows this particular journey um this first project is built to be an emotional journey or mm. an empathetic journey like we are feeling things in this one, um, but it's non-narrative and it's abstract. But I am also really interested in creating um, large scale immersive installations that aren't abstract, that are specific journeys that humans have been craving to do, but can't necessarily. And again, I'm not gonna go into the details about these because you know um, they're in our vault for future productions, but Absolutely. there's so many interesting journeys that we want to take and that um, the medium of immersive design has just opened up so many um, venues to be able to do that. Uh, the technology to do this was so prohibitively expensive for a long time that this kind of thing couldn't really be possible. But now yeah. it's definitely possible. And while there's also arguments that, you know, oh, well, but VR and AR and all that, yes, um, those are super cool too. And I've done a lot of work actually with AR and I've done a little bit of work in VR, but the thing is those aren't shared experiences. Yeah. You're going through a device. And for me, that's the kicker. Uh, it's just not the same if you're experiencing yep. it through a piece of glass. And it just, it, and it also isn't the same if you're not able to like actually physically be in a space with other people while you experience it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that, that shared um, experience that makes it so special and memorable in my personal opinion. Yeah. So that's what we're going for with these ones. Yeah. And I would argue that a lot of the immersive experiences that do exist right now have great artistic merit, mm -hmm. but aren't connected in any way to give people emotional experiences, mm -hmm. you know? And so. Uh, it, it's a missing piece in, in that medium. And I think that that's something that needs to be explored and developed um, further because it's such a powerful medium. But if there's no cohesive through line that you know, is really gripping people, like, yeah, it looks cool for a few minutes and then you move on. You know? So um, that's another thing that I'm really interested in exploring. And I will be fascinated to follow as, as that goes. How much of your day is this taking now? And is there time for you to explore some of those other curiosities beyond? Or is it meeting those needs? You know, this is my main project right now. And it's been really exciting. It's mm -hmm. really interesting to work with this team. And we've been doing lots of different prototyping and, you know, playing with different space and conceptual ideas as well as visual and musical things. So it's definitely taking up most of my time, but I'm also um, finishing up an MBA right now. <laughs> so some of my time oh, is spent doing oh. like corporate finance <laughs> um, and negotiations. Um, and then I'm also doing a few other producing contracts for different types of events and, uh, and concert series. So, uh, you know, uh, I think you probably remember this well from your time in the arts. It's always a juggling act, right? Yeah. All the things going on. So this is my, my 
baby that I'm trying to get launched and off. But in the meantime, I'm doing some other things too. And we will be also um, doing some smaller prototype uh, testing of the, the Neon Venus touring show, like in smaller scale. Um, so we'll be doing some of that in Winnipeg and then I might take some of it across as well. So um, when that comes around, that'll be before the main tour, but mm. yeah. Like, what is what is the hope for the launch? The official launch is going to be uh, September, 2024. Um, and then we'll be touring to Western Canada first. And so throughout all of late 2024 through Western Canada and then Eastern Canada in uh, the winter of 2025. Very exciting. <laughs> and, and you know, we've focused on all of this positive stuff. What, what, if, and I asked you that, that question right off the front end, uh, what question are you in? I want to ask you a couple of questions now. And, and one of them stays probably in that place. If, but, but if it came down to the essence of what inspires you, what comes to mind? I think I mentioned this to you like back when we spoke last, but I just have such strong positive memories of standing on the stage with the lights and the set and hearing the music happening and just feeling so immersed in a story and having that just take my breath away. Yeah. And that is really the feeling that I want to give to our guests. I want them to feel transported into something that just gives them a sense of wow like they're zooming out of their lives and they mm. can just be a part of another thing for a little bit um and it gives them perspective you know and that's part of that the magic of awe you know creating mm. that that's a lot and it's such a lovely image it's that romantic in a way it's a privilege of being the performer that is also you know, it's it's personal and, it, and no matter what we can't we we haven't found ways to effectively share it and it sounds like you're trying you're on the path yeah. to figuring out a way to at least share the essence of what that experience might be. It's a magical feeling, you know, and I've had the true honor and privilege of being on a lot of stages in my life and, you know, like singing the anthem for uh, a Winnipeg Jets game, things like that, you know, when there's like thousands and thousands of people singing around you, feeling that, you know, like yeah. that's a really cool feeling to have that visual and to hear and feel all of that energy feels like. And I think there's got to be a way for us to translate that so that other people can have that kind of experience, even if they're not performers, mm -hmm. um, because yeah, it's a special thing. And, and it's a cool thing, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's a communal yeah, I thought, I thought thing. I'm not. Uh, I actually prefer to be behind the scenes. But there's still something so magical about that moment when you're standing before you open your mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah, or take a breath. Yeah. 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 And I, and I was saying there, it's also a communal thing. It's funny because I think of, you know, you just mentioned the Winnipeg Jets. So to be, to be in the community of fandom, if you will, um, all there for an event, which we might call a game, but really it's an improvised story <laughs> from, you know, the top of the, the puck drop to the, to the final buzzer. How might we be able to, to invite those who a, have identified as non-sports fans or, 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 or rail against that. Um, but who love the, the experience of, of going to a theater or a concert hall or a side of the hill. Um, I'm so excited to see, to see where this all goes for you. What, what feels like the hardest thing? Hmm. I mean, I feel like there's really hard things every step of the way when you have any sort of artistic idea. Um, and 
that's part of the fun of doing it is constantly looking at these problems that seem completely insurmountable and then asking people, looking for different perspectives and then eventually finding your way through. Um, so the current problem, you know, is trying to decide how much we need to scale things down if the investing um, plans that we have don't come through, because obviously to tour a big production like this requires quite a lot of money. Um, but there's always a way, you know. <laughs> so right now, the financial things are tricky, but they're not insurmountable. Um, but that's definitely been one of the, the big obstacles. The other big obstacle is the technology side of this. Like I mentioned, we're doing something that's not really been perfected yet. There's no, you know, programs that run all of this stuff seamlessly. It's not like, you know, I want to make a movie. That's There's a path how you make a movie. We know how to do that. With this, it's not. There's a lot of guessing and there's a lot of uh, working with people in really different fields to try and mm -hmm. bring a lot of different experience and expertise together to try and figure out the best way to solve these problems. Um, and I'm not a very technical person. So for me, that's like, whew. Being over our heads connects us totally to unrelenting curiosity, though. I mean, it's the opposite end of the oh, teeter-totter, right? It's, oh, <laughs> I have no idea. But maybe I, maybe I could ask a question that might open some little piece of that up or pull somebody else in. And, and I just, I, I think you're on that, on that path beautifully. Huh. Yeah, it's been an experiment, but it's um, one of the one of the people that I spoke with when uh, I, in one of my MBA leadership courses that I took uh, said that the key to being a good CEO is to always feel like you're the stupidest person in the room. Hmm. And <laughs> uh, I've been feeling that all the time, but I pretty much always feel like that, you know, like even going way back to when I was directing plays, you know, I always felt like the actors that I had brought in were, you know, they were the smartest people. I was so happy to be working with them and to see what they bring to the table. And I, I have a few ideas here and there. I bring the pieces together, but I'm really just excited to be that person who, you know, brings the folks together and then let them do their magic. Because uh, when you have an amazing team, like it's the synergy there is just incredible. And may I offer that that for so many needs to be something that's overcome. It feels like, although you felt you were the only one that was experiencing that, it felt like you relished it. And what I just heard you say is that there's power in not knowing. As long as we don't create the story that says, I don't know, therefore I am fill in the blank. To your credit, keep staying in that lovely place of naivete about those things that are you're on the edge of discovering. I, again, I go back to, that's how you have first introduced yourself to us. Unrelenting curiosity. I love it. Love it. Never goes away. I keep waiting for it to stop, but it doesn't. <laughs> mm, well, you're fortunate. That's what it's all about. You know, like yeah. by ourselves, it's so much more difficult to get anything done. And yeah. as musicians, like I've had a lifelong uh, constant uh, battle with myself where it's like, oh, I'm scared to collaborate with others because they might judge me as not being good enough. But then when I collaborate, I learn so much more and I grow so much more. And where our, oops, where our music goes is beyond what I ever could have imagined because more minds on it always makes things more interesting. So, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sitting here with me and, uh, and, and sipping tea. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a delight talking to you.
Ellipses Thinking is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It is produced by Jordan Dollar Coltman and Greg Dollar Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years. Their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.